0: Listening to the Citizens podcast from Citizens Church in Birmingham, Alabama. I'm so excited to be with you here today. Um, as I shared, I'm Tyler, and I've been a member of Citizens since 2019. So, if this is your first time here, you might have not even know Citizens existed that long. But uh, on this day, three years ago, my wife and I moved down here from Louisville, Kentucky, to to be a part of this church, and I've loved it ever since. And and one thing I have the great opportunity to do right now is be our deacon of community groups, which is fun. My main thing that I do is try to love and encourage leaders and try to make sure that we're organized and set. And thankfully, we have a lot of wonderful leaders, so it makes that part a little easy and great. Uh, But I'm so excited to see what God has been doing for the last three years and even continuing to do. Today and this past week and weeks before of what all he's been able to do as we celebrated this past year of, of God's goodness and faithfulness and and some of you have even been a part of this church through the love that other people have shown you to bring you here through groups. So I'm just really excited to to be able to preach you today, uh, but to share a little about myself as well. I want to show a great picture uh, because of three people. One's just kind of alright one guy there. But uh, three people here that I want you to know and see. First, uh, the beautiful glowing lady on the right on our, Easter, on our Easter picture is Kaylee. That's my wife, Kaylee. Some of you may know her. Uh, Kaylee is, is wonderful in every way. She's also a deacon of our women's ministry. So if any ladies you want to get connected with our church, reach out to her. And then we have two daughters. So like I said, we moved to Birmingham three years ago. And since that time, two babies have been born. So a lot has happened in the Chapman household. Uh, first, I want to give uh, to Mabel Ray on the right, uh, just goes by Mabel usually, uh, Mabel's on the right, she is two and a half years old, uh, if you know Mabel, uh, my friend John calls her Mabel's like a cat, she's uh, full of, she's either super lovable and will want to hang out with you and tell you funny jokes, or she'll want to avoid you and just kind of look at you funny, so if you see my daughter do that, just know that she's two, um, and also that she has a cat-like personality. And next is Millie. Look at her on the left. She's just the cutest little thing ever. You didn't get to see her beautiful smile, but she's always smiling. Millie is nine months old um, and just a great treat. It's been really fun to see her. She actually just had her first little crawl yesterday, so the Chapman household was excited. Was it just a couple baby crawls? Barely, barely? Yes, but we celebrated and we were pumped. Um, so I'm just excited to see her grow. Uh, and then the next, I want to show a new addition to Chapman household. Who likes cats? Raise your hand. Who loves the cats? always, it's always a 50-50 thing, right? Yeah. So <laughs> me, I am kind am I a cat person? I don't really know. Sometimes I am, sometimes I'm not, but this is Luna. She's our new shining star. She looks kind of beautiful, kind of creepy right there. She looks out the window, but Luna is a really fun cat. We just figured since we have two little lives, might as well add another one in the house. So that's Luna. Um, so yeah, that's just a little bit about my family. Uh, we live here in the area as well. So if we've known each other for a while or haven't ever met before, I'd love to talk to you and get to know you as well. Um, and I'm really honored and super thankful um, for our elders entrusting trusting me to preach the word of God to you today. It's, it's definitely not something I take lightly. And this week, we are starting on the first of five sermons in a chapter that some people call the most important, helpful chapter of the entire Bible. And that's Romans 8, as you can see on our screen. And, and Romans 8 gives us the truth of the gospel to build a new life following Jesus, a foundation we can trust and build our life upon. So we have two goals for our church each week in the sermon series, elements of mixing this gospel cement. So the first one is we learn to live by the Spirit of God. And the second one is we learn to rest in the love of God. And these two things, this living and resting, are the perfect ways to describe what it means to have a new freedom and a new mind, which is what we're going to talk about today in the beginning of Romans 8. So right before these verses we're hearing today, Paul talks about his struggle with his heart and his mind. He shares, even when I want to get it right, I don't. Have you ever had those moments where you struggle with that? If, if you, you want to do something, but you actually can't, There's, your actions aren't really following what your heart wants to do. So Paul struggles with what we would call a guilty conscience. He loves God. He thinks about him and his ways, yet Paul's actions in his daily life don't always sync up with what he really wants to do. And what Paul wants to do, as you can see throughout this book of Romans, even right before his, is he just wants to follow God with his whole heart and mind. And so although he struggles, let's look at what Paul says here in verse one about a new freedom found. This can change how you view your guilty conscience here. So I want to, if you have a guilty conscience, let's look here together, starting in verse one. And, and I'm so glad he did. The first verse, it says, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus this is the big verse of the passage today. So as you think about this passage, think about this verse the whole entire time, for there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. And it's important to know the word condemnation. It's, to tell you the truth, not every day I j- just use the word condemnation in my vocabulary. You may not as well, and it's okay if you have no idea what that means. It's understandable. But what condemnation means is strong disapproval. It's a, it's a sentence of guilt, of, of punishment or judgment. So when it says here that there's no condemnation, this is like you standing before a court and God being the judge and God just removing the handcuff and saying that you're free. Even though you were guilty for the crime that you committed, you have every reason to be in jail. God is unlocking those handcuffs. But the thing about God is God is not just a God who just casually gives people free passes. He's not just as a kind of God who just, hey, let me just give, unlock some handcuffs here and there. This sounds fun today. Uh, no, no, God is is holy. He's just and he's righteous in the truest form. And sin is so offensive to him that there has to be something or someone to act on our behalf to give us this grace-filled standing with him, this freedom. So let's look at verses 2 through 4 and see the how and the why that those in Christ are free, as he talked about in verse 1. Um, so verse 2 So let's actually look just at verse two here. on, the, on verse two it says, uh, we see what the Spirit has done. The Spirit has set us free from the law of sin and of death. And it's important to know what the Spirit is. So if you if the spirit for, for many of you can have a lot of connotations, a lot of directions in which you can go, but it's important to know that the spirit is this. The gift of the Holy Spirit has always been God's means of regenerating His people to new life and empowering spiritual leaders. So but since Jesus ascended into heaven, the Holy Spirit has get, been given to all believers to enable them to carry out the wide variety of ministries that God's called them to. It allows you and I to, if, if we belong in Christ Jesus, to have supernatural signs and gifts even. It can even guide Christians in their daily walk as they proclaim about who Jesus is. So the Spirit lives within a Christian so with that in mind, if you're in Christ Jesus, the law of or living by the Spirit sets you free from the law of sin that leads to death. So the Spirit, it changes the, rec- the direction in which your car is going. So you, you without the Spirit, you are on a direction toward death and toward hell. Yet God in His goodness through the Spirit changes that course for you. So in verses 3 and 4, we see what the God the Father and Christ the Son have done to actually make that thing possible. So let's look at this at verse three, with the beginning of verse three, it says, for God has done what the the law weakened by the flesh could not do. So what could the law not do? What is this law? Why could it not work? Um, So what the law could not do is this. So throughout the Old Old Testament um, and the history of man, God designed the law both to instruct and guide his people and also expose their sin and need for a savior. However, people can never meet the law's demands. So God had the law. Uh, People would even be really excited about the law. They would say, oh, yes, God, we worship you. And then even minutes later, they would make statues or or different idols and begin worshiping them, um, even after they heard the instructions from God. Um, And so they would worship or chase other things they wanted to follow instead. So time and time again, uh, to make up, to repent or to turn away from their sin, people would bring sacrifices before God. These would be animal sacrifices um, back in the Old Testament before God to redeem themselves of their sin. But while God would accept their payment, it would never fully satisfy God to receive that payment for their sin. And another important word in this, in this verse that we just read in verse 3 is the word flesh. And we'll see that word a lot here. So flesh is more than just the skin that you have. You'll see the word flesh in our translation, I think, like nine times. So I want to make sure we have that covered. So flesh is just this, everyone. It's just you without God. So you're alive, but you're spiritually dead. Uh, it's what a person would be apart from God. That is you following the flesh, living in the flesh, is you apart from God. So. With those two definitions in mind, we, we see that we, we could not be, obey the law, but Jesus became like us in order to unite us with him. So the law itself was not powerful enough to save us, but Jesus, what he did and still does um, is sufficient and enough. You see, Jesus Christ, he's fully God. He was sitting in heaven in perfect union with God the Father and God the Spirit. And Jesus, he became a man on this earth. He, he lived a life without sin. And so that he could be the perfect sacrifice to fulfill the law and be condemned for sin. So he was that guilty payment for sin or that payment for sin. And Matt Smethurst, he actually summarizes way better than what I just said here. So I want you to read this quote. He says, the lawmaker, God, Jesus became the law keeper. He fulfilled the law in every single way to die for lawbreakers. So if we understand that's you and I, So, and why did he do this? So that we can no longer follow our sin, but instead follow the spirit. We can obey what he has to say. So you see, Jesus made a way to give us a grace-filled and guilt-free standing before God through his spirit. So by his grace, the spirit shows us that he is here, that God is here and that he loves you. And so we have a right standing with God and even in a changed direction in which we go because Jesus himself, he's unlocked those handcuffs. You see, the Spirit transforms the way a person lives and thinks because of God's love shown to him or her. Um, And recently, actually, I I had someone at our church, there was a few of us gathering around, there was one person in our church who was becoming a new member recently, um, and she asked us what's one of the biggest ways in which God has changed us, and she she went around the room and just asked us. And since then, I just keep reflecting on this question of of what has changed um, for me from the time that. Jesus saved me at a young age to right now. So uh, as a ninth grader, uh, right now I'm, I'm 30, so that about 16 years ago, I was always cussing just about every other sentence. Every other sentence I would say would be a cuss word except around my mom. I wouldn't do that, mostly around school. And I would use my words just to puff up myself and tear others down. Um, and when it really hit home about what Jesus had done for me that night, it was actually at a, at a church event. I remember the Holy Spirit convicting me and calling me to change the way I speak to others and wanting me to do something new. And so I remember God, he saw my personal hurt and he asked that I stop hurting others. And so right away, the way that I spoke to people changed and it was apparent to everyone. Us middle school, high school friends, they would, they would ask me and made fun of me for changing. And, and all I wanted to do was I wanted to go back to cussing and tell them off And I also just wanted their approval because I was so tired of being made fun of for not saying cuss words anymore, which right now kind of sounds a little funny, but I was 14 and we were 14 year olds. Um, But the spirit comforted me in knowing that I'm approved by him throughout that time. I knew that he wanted me to love people in my thoughts and in my words. Even though it hurt my feelings to lose friends, I had to rest in the fact that I was loved by Christ. You see, church, by his grace-filled love, he gave me a guilt-free verdict before him through his love. And as we read, I could rest in that fact, even as a 14-year-old and today, that I'm no longer condemned and I don't need to focus on the approval of others. So my question for you today is this, where can you start saying yes to God's freedom from sin and no to other people's approval? So if those in Christ Jesus experience a new freedom, this should change how we think and give us a new mind. So let's look to verses five through eight about this new mind. And in verse five, Paul talks about setting your mind, which means just just thinking heavily. This is you setting your mind on something, on two options. So the first option is simple. It's the flesh. And the second option is what we talked about as well as the spirit. So in verse five, it says, for those who live according to the flesh, set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit, set their minds on things of the spirit. So it's pretty simple here, what Paul's talking about with the definitions we have in mind. I mean, Whatever you think about, whatever you work towards, whatever you act like, what, that's what eventually what you become. There's, there's a popular saying in, in some circles about you are what you love. Whatever is, is you are obsessing over and thinking about, you will eventually become that. And that is what is your God. And so when we think about the things of the flesh, this, these are all things that are self-serving. Remember I said that the things of the flesh or flesh is, is you apart from God. So this is totally self-focused on whatever you want and whatever you crave, whatever you care about. So we can go a bunch of different rabbit holes with this, right, of things that we crave and want, but some things that come to mind, right, are money, power, cars, respect, authority, the approval of others. There are so many ways in which we want to chase the things of the flesh. And second, option two is the things of the Spirit. And so even in Galatians, there's another letter um, in the New Testament that Paul writes to the the Church of Galatia in um, and. and uh, chapter 5, verse 22, he talks about the fruit of the Spirit. So this is a, an indicator that you love God and that the Spirit is working in you. And, and some of these examples are peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. Those are the things of the Spirit that the Lord delights in. And so those things, let's, with those things in mind, let's look at the results of those two options in verse 6. In verse six, it says, for to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. So flesh is direction is this. Paul makes it really clear. It's death. And why? Because the flesh is direction disregards God altogether. And so with that, if God is the creator of everything and you disregard him, the natural way would be death. And the second option on the spirit is life and peace. So by this, it means life eternal with God and peace with him forever. And God's responses uh, to following the flesh, Paul gives us an indicator or actually a really clear explanation of what that would be for us to follow the flesh, to follow our sin. And for humans, I mean, verse seven and eight, let's read that actually really quick. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So God's response to following the flesh, our sin, is that it'll make us hostile to him. This means we'll be unfriendly to him. This means we'll be like an an antagonist to him. We'll do the exact opposite of what he wants. And hostility, when you think of that word, actually, when I think of the word, maybe you don't think of it this way, but when I think of hostility, I think of anger. I think of raging anger of of I'm not liking someone and I want to yell at you and and get back at you and I'm I'm so upset at you. But we also know that that angry can also mean apathy or indifference. I disregard you so much, just kind of whatever, I don't care that can also be what hostility means. I'm I'm sure you might've experienced that from a friend or you might've done that to someone else. Or just, it's not gonna faze me anymore. I'm not gonna yell. So church, when we are not listening to obeying and loving God as he's called us to, it rightfully angers him because he's a loving and just God. Because as it says in verse eight, a mind on the flesh cannot please God. So even if you think you're a good person, you, you pay your taxes, you, you know, you, wave at your friends. You say, how are you? Every time you walk by someone, uh, you take care of those around you, but you shrug when it comes to God. Eh. This is still being hostile towards him. Even a good person can still be hostile to God if they're not living for God. And Paul makes that super clear. So when I read this, I don't know about you, the alarm bells go off for me. When are those times in which I am being hostile to God by not really caring about him or his presence? Three months ago, I was actually really close to making, actually, I was close uh, to making a really large milestone in my little life. Uh, my wife and I, we were about to buy our first house, which was really, really exciting. Um, and the process to decide to buy a home and, and when we were going to buy a home was, was stressful at first. And actually, the whole process escalated pretty quickly. And there's actually, many of you have been super gracious in this, in this room of loving me and listening to me as Kaylee and I went through that process of going to make that move to buy a house. And with buying a house, there comes a lot of money you have to put down. As some of you bought a house before, I know that. Or even if you haven't bought a house, you know what that's like. There's a lot of money you have to throw down. And there's also a lot of inevitable expenses that you just can't avoid. And so the week before we were about to close on a house, our family, we were actually about to go on a trip to visit um, some of extended family in Texas. And we had this planned several months before. So the house part was not even in the equation of actually um, happening. So it didn't seem like the logical move at the time, but we did it and it was great. Uh, but before we left, I wanted just to be a really responsible adult. So I said, I'm going to check on my tax return. I'm, I'm, I'm eager for this tax return. I want to get my money secure and right. I'm a responsible man um, and I'm making some big life moves. So I just want to make sure that all is good. So the night before our flight, I get on my computer, I'm in our bed, and I'm scrambling to get things in order. But it's like, I, I just want to check this. I'm curious what's going on here. I'm, I'm excited to get this money. And I log on to the site that I filed my taxes. And notice that, hey, I completed the process. Good for me. And I actually even paid for the process. But there was one thing. I forgot to press enter. I forgot to press confirm that, hey, tax website, you can let the government know that I would like this money, please. And we're ready to go. So there it was. I was wondering where I was at, and I just hadn't pressed enter. So that means nothing was moving. And I couldn't believe it. So after seeing this, I was like, I said, I was in my room. I walked out of my room. I paced around a bit. I come back in our room, and and Kaylee, my wife, was like, Hey, Tyler, what's going on? I was like, Ooh. And so I just walked out again. <laughs> <laughs> this is me. This is a, a normal day in the life of me when I'm stressed out. I go into my room. This part is not as normal. I, I go into the, our living room, and I'm just sitting there on my couch. I'm actually kind of like in this crisscross style. And I just started breathing heavily and breathing and breathing heavily more and more. And eventually I just started crying. I started bawling my eyes out. I felt so out of control. I was so ashamed that I did not press enter for us to get that money to come in before a house was closing. You see, I, I wanted to be super responsible. I wanted to be super smart, super secure financially, have the approval of my wife and approval of others, my peers, you in this room. And at, the, at this moment, it made me feel like I was none of those things. I was worried that everything would fall apart by this mistake, even though actually in reality, y'all, we were already in a good enough position to purchase the home. I just wanted to be secure as possible. I just wanted to make sure everything was right. And after many tears and reflecting more, I learned three things about having a new mind. And the first is this, God takes care of the Chapman home and is the hero of every story, no matter what. The second is this. God would have cared for me and loved me, even if I always missed hitting the inner button. And the third thing is this. I learned through Kaylee what God's love for me is like. You see, what I didn't share was this, is that Kaylee sat there on the couch as I was crying and she listened to me and she cared for me. Wasn't really phased by it, about the, the money part. That was the spirit of God working through Kaylee. You see, church, we, we chase various freedoms when true freedom is knocking at the door. If you want to be free from the penalty of sin, free from a guilty conscience, that freedom is available to you in Jesus today. He wants to unlock the handcuffs, as I keep saying here, right? And change the direction that your car towards death is going. That's what Jesus paid for on the cross and in his resurrection. The spirit sets us free to have a new freedom and a new mind that comes from Christ alone. That's what he wants you to experience today. You've been listening to the Citizens Church Podcast. Special thanks to Murphy DX, who recorded our theme music. If you'd like to learn more about Citizens Church in Birmingham, Alabama, you can visit us on our website at citizensbhm.com or on the usual suspects Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.